0: We are not scared. We're going to continue to run our campaign.
1: Tonight, a Surrey Liberal candidate's office is vandalized, and he says he and his family threatened. Plus, a Liberal candidate who now must run as an independent speaks out, and an NDP candidate makes an apology also. Canada! 1,000 opposed to pandemic restrictions march in Vancouver while an anti mask incident on a BC ferry gets ugly. And the city of Vancouver's green strategy that has veterans seeing red.
2: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6.
1: Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news and the desperate search for a 25 year old man who may be missing in Manning Park. Jordan Natterer was last seen last Saturday morning leaving his downtown Vancouver apartment. Police believe he may have gone hiking in Manning Park. Natterer's black Honda Civic was found at the Frosty Mountain Trailhead by the Lightning Lake Day Use Area. Police say he missed a Thanksgiving dinner Monday night and his absence is out of character. Search and rescue volunteers from Kamloops, Princeton, North Shore, Pemberton and Coquitlam along with the RCMP have spent the past five days looking for any sign of him in the area. His father has flown in from St. John's, Newfoundland to help search for him.
3: We already have some information of people that were on the trail. Some information, it was helpful. It was... It was It allowed us to pinpoint, you know, a time and a location. Other information appreciated, not so helpful. But again, uh, if there are, whether you or others know of um, anything, that would be great. We've done air searches. We've had dog searches. We've
4: uh, used what's called a RICO unit, which will pick up a reflector that is in a lot of clothing today. And we've searched a lot. We've searched the whole area with that. And uh, we've done a lot of visual scanning by helicopters also. And we've got right now the RCMP uh, Air 5 is here, and they're doing a FLIR. So that's a uh, body heat scan.
1: And more breaking news in East Vancouver, where a home caught fire in a residential neighborhood. Crews were called late this afternoon to the house on Woodland and 10th Avenue near Broadway. No one was hurt, but the home appears to be heavily damaged. Uh, protests nearby caused traffic to slow in the area. The cause of the fire is under investigation. With just one week left in the provincial election campaign, an ugly incident in Surrey. The windows of the Liberal candidate in Surrey, guildford were smashed today following alleged threats against the candidate, his team and his family. As Nadia Stewart reports, police are now involved.
5: Liberal candidate Dave Hahn says he doesn't know why someone decided to vandalize his campaign office. He believes it's an attempt to intimidate a first-time candidate.
0: I want to give a clear message. We are not intimidated. We are not scared. We're going to continue to run our campaign.
5: When Hans and his team left their Surrey-Guilford campaign office on Friday night, they did not expect to return to this Saturday morning. Hans says this is just the latest incident.
0: This is on top of the threats that my family and my campaign team has been getting from anonymous text messages, um, fake accounts on social medias, and it's very disturbing.
5: It is still unclear what motivated this or what is behind those messages.
0: It's the dirty politics. We are passionate. Uh, there are differences in opinions, but there's no room for violence in this society. And it is very disturbing.
5: Hans has been in the news in recent days, following reports of a lawsuit in a land deal that allegedly went sour. Hans would not comment on whether that played a role in this incident. I'm not going to speculate anything.
0: I mean, uh, the matter is in RCMP's hand, and they've been really helpful. And uh, I will I will let RCMP do the, do the work. I don't want to blame anyone, but uh, things are clear in front of
5: you. Surrey RCMP is now investigating. In addition to canvassing, they're also appealing for witnesses, asking anyone with video to give them a call. Nadia Starr, Global News.
1: In the North Okanagan, the campaign signs of the NDP candidate for Vernon Monashie were vandalized. Harwinder Sandhu says her signs are often knocked over or removed, but she wasn't prepared to see a sign defaced with a swastika and a sexist slur. It's the feeling that's so hard to describe. And in that moment, you're thinking about um, your kids. I have two daughters and a son, but more importantly, my daughters who are growing up. Because I thought the C word,
5: it impacted every woman. And it was attack towards every woman, whether women of color or Caucasian
1: women or any, you know, belong to any ethnicity when I
5: saw the sign, the other racist sign, that it was like it felt like a double attack that I'm thinking what
1: crime did I commit um, because I'm a woman of colour? In the battle for votes in north central BC, the Stikine NDP candidate issued an apology today over personal comments he made about an opponent. During a Zoom news conference, Nathan Cullen issued an apology to Roy Jones Jr., the Liberal candidate in the North Coast, who is also Haida. During a recent all-candidates debate, Cullen was heard saying that Jones Jr. is, quote, Haida, he's not well-liked, before making fun of his First Nation's name.
3: I unreservedly apologize for, they were inappropriate. I've since uh, spoken with Roy and apologized to him and spoken with other Haida leadership. Um, so I just wanted to get that off the top. It was it was wrong what I said. I take it back entirely. Those comments were really disrespectful, and they they hurt Roy Jones Jr. They hurt his family, they hurt his community, and then they they basically hurt any minority who's actually ever experienced those kind of comments. What hurt even more was the NDP's silence on us. Such hypocrisy. I mean. Every time that any other politician makes it makes a mistake in terms of something that's said, they go on screaming for resignations.
1: Earlier this week, the Liberals were in the hot seat having to oust Chilliwack Kent candidate Laurie Throness for his comments comparing free contraception to eugenics. Tonight, we finally hear from Throness, now an independent, and the other candidates in what's now a wide-open race. Paul Johnson has the story. That's my rebranded sign.
6: Though he says this past week has been a deeply hurtful time for him, Laurie Thronus is forging ahead on his own. I'm an independent candidate now for Chilliwack Kent. As it stands now, the history of this election will cite Thronus as being the only candidate to stumble out of his party's favor with a self-inflicted wound. Here's the moment it happened.
7: It contains a whiff of the old eugenics thing where, you know, poor people shouldn't have babies. And so we can't force them to have
6: contraception, so we'll give it to them for free. B.C. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson was quick to call for and get his resignation. And Thronus is now apologizing for his use of the controversial word eugenics. I used a wrong word off the cuff to represent a deeper concern that I had. If eugenics is to be understood as a way of engineering human reproduction for certain societal outcomes... Decide for yourself just how offside Thronus's comment was. In that moment, he says he was referring to this 10-year-old white paper about birth control options in B.C. It says free birth control will yield a significant return in reduced public expenditure beyond the cost. The yield will be higher for specific population subgroups in need of extensive income and other assistance. I found that objectionable, and I
0: said so.
8: I I was disappointed to hear his comments.
6: NDP candidate Kelly Patton likely stands to gain the most from the episode, and challenges from the other parties, including the Green candidate, who stopped campaigning in favor of Jason Lum, say Thronus is out of touch.
8: Thronus does not represent the views here, and I am so glad that it was finally heard.
3: Mr. Thronus represents uh, a good deal of uh, folks who have more... I would say traditional views, perhaps. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is when you're here as an MLA, you're representing everybody. But don't count him out yet. A political veteran with a
6: committed team of volunteers, Thronus is still likely to appeal to the many cultural conservatives in the eastern Fraser Valley. Well, you know, my voters know what they're getting. In Chilliwack, Paul Johnson, Global News.
1: On the campaign trail, NDP leader John Horgan was in the interior. This morning, Horgan reannounced the promise of a new cancer centre in Kamloops. The party first announced it nearly two weeks ago as part of a 10-year cancer action plan. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson was in Campbell River this morning, speaking about the B.C. forestry sector. Earlier, the party announced it would implement a more effective, efficient and responsive market pricing stumpage system to help keep the industry competitive. Green leader... Sonia Furstenau outlined her party's plan for sustainable forestry while in Machosan today. She was joined by Green Esquimalt Machosan candidate Andy McKinnon, a former forest biologist. Furstenau took aim at the NDP's forestry plan, claiming the provincial government tinkered around the edges. She promised a fundamental shift in how forests are managed under a green government. One of the other ridings we'll be watching closely on election night is one that used to be dominated by the former Green Party leader of B.C. But as Richard Zussman reports, with Andrew Weaver out of the race this time, his former riding has become a whole new battleground.
9: For nearly a decade, he's been a familiar face in B.C. politics. Former Green Party leader Andrew Weaver serving two terms in Oak Bay, Gordon Head. (laughs) Even after leaving politics, Weaver just happened to cruise by in the midst of a campaign to replace him. Weaver won in 2017 by a whopping 8,400 votes. But now, he's not running again. The race seemingly wide open. I'm hoping that people see that I can contribute contribute and continue his uh, his legacy. He really did make a difference when he was an MLA. And I think a lot of people relate to the individual in this riding. Rare words from someone from a different political party. Murray Rankin, hoping to change the NDP's fortunes in the riding, a third-place finish last election by coming out of political retirement. But I am someone who's not hyper-partisan, but really, especially in a pandemic, someone who can get things done for the people of Oak Bay, Gordon, and- Nicole Duncan has the task of convincing voters the Green Party in the riding is more than just Weaver, the school board trustee running at the provincial level for the first time.
1: 100% this is a Green Party seat and I think that the the folks in the riding have thrown their support uh, very clearly behind the Green Party for the last two elections. I'm really, really uh, optimistic about our future and I think that Uh, The Green Party is, you know, clearly ahead of the game in terms of ideas. The riding
9: has an older demographic and represents some of the most affluent communities on Vancouver Island, including along here on Oak Bay Avenue, the University of Victoria, and along the water into Saanich.
1: This is an independent thinking riding, I would say. Uh, I know uh, Andrew Weaver said this and I agree with him that they tend to vote for the candidate as opposed to the party. Uh, so a strong candidate is uh, what they're looking for. Oak
9: Bay-Gordon Head also has a special distinction. It's the only riding in the province that's been represented by a Green, NDP, Liberal, Social Credit, and Conservative representative. And now, one of these three candidates has a chance for a distinction of their own, the one who follows Andrew Weaver. Richard Zussman, Global News, Oak Bay.
1: As many as 1,000 people gathered in downtown Vancouver to protest restrictions related to the pandemic. Most in the large crowd were not wearing masks and did not keep their physical distance as they met at the Vancouver Art Gallery, then marched through the downtown core this afternoon. Some carried signs denouncing the pandemic as a hoax. Vancouver police kept an eye on the proceedings to make sure public safety was maintained. A small group of anti-mask demonstrators caused a disturbance on a morning sailing from Nanaimo to Horseshoe Bay. BC Ferries says the incident happened on the 8.30 sailing of the Queen of Oak Bay. West Vancouver police say it involved about 50 protesters. Dozens of unmasked protesters who boarded in separate vehicles became belligerent and harassed masked passengers. At least 12 of them have been banned from the BC Ferries for the rest of the day. For the fourth time in just over three years, police in B.C. are warning the public about the same high-risk sex offender 41-year-old Cameron Rattel is now living in Victoria after completing a sentence for sexual assault. He's known to target girls and young women between the ages of 16 and 25 and is believed to pose a high risk to reoffend. Rattel has been convicted of sexually assaulting women living on university campuses in Ontario. The VPD issued similar warnings about him in May of 2017, February of 2018 and June of last year. Rattel uses hearing aids and must abide by several conditions, including staying away from schools, not consuming alcohol or drugs, must report all relationships with women and not accessing the Internet. Surrey RCMP is investigating the report of an attempted abduction near an elementary school in Cloverdale. Yesterday at around three o'clock, a student was reportedly approached by a man in a black van outside Adams Road Elementary School. They were able to the child was able to run away and called police. The man is described as dark skinned, bald with a beard, wearing an orange brown shirt. If you have any information, please contact Surrey RCMP. Vancouver police say they've identified a suspect in an attempted child abduction investigation. Wednesday afternoon, police say a 13-year-old girl was approached by a man near Kerr Street and Southeast Marine Drive who asked her to get into his vehicle. The man was driving a black four-door Audi A4. Police say after seeing the media coverage, a man came forward and spoke with detectives but has been deemed not a threat to the public and has since been released. Vancouver police are asking for more information from the public in hopes of solving this case. DELTA POLICE ARE ISSUING A WARNING AFTER A TEENAGE GIRL WAS FOLLOWED into Watson ON THURSDAY MORNING. SHE WAS WALKING NEAR 52nd STREET AND 12th AVENUE AT AROUND 8 O'CLOCK WHEN A MAN GOT OUT OF A BURGUNDY-COLORED CAR, WALKED TOWARDS HER, AND TOLD HER TO GET IN THE VEHICLE. THE GIRL RAN, AND THE INCIDENT WAS REPORTED ON FRIDAY. THE SUSPECT IS DESCRIBED AS WHITE IN HIS 50S WITH SHORT WHITE HAIR. HE WAS WEARING BROWN BAGGY PANTS, A BLUE T-SHIRT, AND CARRYING A CANE. If you have information, please call Delta police. A somber photo shoot to remember loved ones lost to the overdose crisis. It took place today in front of the historic Mission Rail Bridge. Dozens gathered to memorialize those they've lost through addiction and to raise awareness about the opioid pandemic. Organizers say they want people to know addiction is not just an urban problem, but an issue that's hitting families in every BC community. Addiction affects people from all families and all walks of life, people with great potential. And if there was a safe supply, they might survive
8: and go on to lead very happy,
3: productive lives.
1: Just one day after Global News revealed some city of Vancouver managers got... During a time of economic restraint, we're now learning the city is recommending not only dropping a proposal for free year-round parking for veterans, but is considering taking back what little veterans already get. And as Kristen Robinson reports, the main reason for the move isn't sitting well with many.
8: Already struggling at limited capacity during COVID, the Billy Bishop Legion says just getting here is a battle for many members.
7: A lot of veterans have difficulty finding parking spots.
8: And some don't make it here at all. Because they can't find parking, they choose not to come. Staff disappointed to learn Vancouver is recommending against free city parking for veterans. Well, I don't think it's right.
10: It was kind of a shock.
8: BC veterans license plate holders and serving Canadian Forces members currently park for free at Vancouver City meters and lots in the week leading up to Remembrance Day. Last November, council backed Melissa DeGenova's proposal to honor veterans with year-round free parking. I think that that's the least we can do, to say thank you. But after review, city staff say a veteran's exemption would not align with current policy goals around transportation options or effective management of curbside space and could cost the city up to $2 million a year in lost revenue when veterans are not, on average economically disadvantaged
7: a lot of the veterans are rich they can afford parking <laughs> and I, I i have to disagree with that
2: i'm enraged actually enraged and extremely disappointed
8: the man who championed these plates estimates there are only about 500 veterans license holders living in vancouver
2: for the city of vancouver to sit back and, and tell veterans that it's going to cost 1.2 million odd dollars and lost revenue the city of Vancouver is absolute bloody nonsense.
8: DeGenova says the mayor has authority over staff and maintains every veteran deserves a few hours of free parking in the city. I will accept nothing less than that, and I hope that the mayor won't either. Just ahead of Remembrance Day, the report also recommends reducing veterans' free
1: parking to November 11th only, starting next year. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A disturbing development in the escalating violence over an indigenous lobster fishery in Nova Scotia. A lobster pound being used by Mi'kmaq fishers has been destroyed by a suspicious fire. Public Safety Minister Bill Blair just released a statement saying the temperature of this dispute must be lowered now. The threats, violence and intimidation have to stop. But as Ross Lord reports, indigenous leaders say the federal government should have stepped in weeks ago.
11: In these images, the pattern of violence surrounding the Nova Scotia lobster fishery takes a harrowing leap forward. A lobster pound used by indigenous fishers to store their catch set ablaze in what RCMP call a suspicious act.
6: was well, the worst fire I've been in the fire department for 40 years and it's the worst fire i ever seen. Like it was, the heat was so intense that you couldn't go anywhere near and it was hard to
5: fight. I heard like the crackling noises. And as soon as I heard that, I totally knew what it was. So I looked out the window and I could see like orange orange glow and I woke my husband up and they're burning it down.
11: RCMP say a man is in hospital with what they call life-threatening injuries. They say the man is a person of interest in the fire investigation.
5: It's disgusting and I can't imagine how or why they would target it like that.
6: Cops can't even control these guys,
10: and there's a lot of them.
11: And lobster lobster pound was the center of violence Tuesday night when an indigenous fisher who brought his lobsters there for storage was forced to barricade himself inside while angry commercial fishers removed his catch. Commenting on the fire and the severe injuries that ensued, Sabaganegati Chief Mike Sack is taking the high road.
9: Still haven't heard lately on uh, how the guy was making out there, but I hope there's a a full recovery and... um, we had remorse for everyone involved, and uh, we view it as a
11: hate crime. It was directed towards people that we we do business with, and it's, it's very unfortunate. A Supreme Court ruling 21 years ago upheld Indigenous fishers' right to earn a so-called moderate livelihood outside of regular seasons. But commercial fishers insist all harvesters should be subject to the same seasonal rules. With each violent episode, calls for peace become more urgent. For several weeks, Indigenous leaders and commercial fishery reps have been urging federal politicians and agencies to help bring an end to escalating violence. The aftermath of this fire might give those warnings extra meaning. So uh, it just reaffirms what we've been asking for. You know, there needs to be more law enforcement in the area, more safety. RCMP have announced charges against a man for allegedly assaulting Chief Sack in connection with an altercation Wednesday. Investigations continue into a slew of other incidents, including this... The most troubling episode yet. Ross lore Global News, Middle West Pubnico, Nova Scotia.
1: Thousands of people gathered in downtown Washington, D.C. and cities across America today for the Women's March. It is not hyperbole to say that everything is on the
5: line this November. We cannot afford four more years of this administration attacking our access to reproductive health care and rights.
1: A large part of that movement is protesting the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Amy Coney Barrett as well as building momentum to vote President Donald Trump out of the White House. Women's March leaders hope to bring a final show of force before November 3rd with a rally in the nation's capital. Nearly 430 marches are planned in cities in all 50 states. March organizers say more than 116,000 people have pledged to take part. A landslide victory for Jacinda Ardern, who has won her second term as New Zealand's Prime Minister. I only have two simple words. Thank you. Centre-left Labour Party, the centre-left Labour Party, took almost 49% of the vote. That could be the highest percent any party has achieved in that country since New Zealand's current political system was introduced in 1996. Ardern has been praised for her decisive response to the COVID-19 pandemic. The country has reported fewer than 2,000 total cases and only 25 deaths since the pandemic began. We're getting a firsthand look at a shocking incident in Seattle that saw a police vehicle torched. He's
3: just walking down the alley southbound with the stick on fire, and it is very on fire.
1: The Seattle police have released body cam and surveillance video showing what led up to an officer-involved shooting on Thursday. It happened in the South Lake Union neighborhood. The suspect can be seen using a burning piece of lumber to attack a police officer in his patrol car. The suspect then runs away as the officer opens fire. The 37-year-old suspect was not hit. Police chased him into a parking garage and eventually took him into custody. British artist Banksy has confirmed street art featuring a hula-hooping girl is his work. It appeared earlier this week in central England and depicts a young girl using a bicycle tire as a hula hoop. A picture of the work was posted on Banksy's Instagram feed and website today. Banksy's works this year have mostly alluded to the pandemic and Black Lives Matter movement. In health matters, Pfizer says it will seek emergency use authorization for its COVID-19 vaccine, but not before the November 3rd US election. The company's CEO made the announcement this morning saying this, the regulatory filing could come as soon as safety data is available, possibly by the third week of November. The FDA says it wants at least two months of safety data on half of the trial participants before authorizing emergency use of any COVID vaccine.
11: You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
1: Okay well we were going to show you a picture of a guy with a shark attached to his foot but apparently that wasn't available. (laughs) But we're gonna we're gonna tell you about that story right after Yvonne's forecast. I don't even know where that video came from. I have never seen that video
12: before. (laughs) It's a surprise you know it's just a little gremlin, a little surprise that pops up in the system. I'll do the weather and then we'll figure that out. And then when we come back, Thank we can you. kind of, yeah, we'll have it figured out by then. All right. Thanks, Colleen. And good evening, everyone. Uh, a bit of a great start to our weekend. We are tracking some wet weather. It is going to move in for this evening We're already, starting to see it across Metro Vancouver. Now, a quick glance at what the temperatures are like. We're sitting at 11 degrees. We bumped up to 13 as the high. We're right where we should be for this time of the year. But it is cool. And we are setting up for sort of a fall pattern over the next few days. We've got a light northwesterly wind at six kilometers per hour. Now, the weather story yesterday. Yesterday, very different. A quick glance at some photos that were gorgeous, spectacular of the sunset. It's very different this evening, but this was a shot that was taken in Powell River, so thank you so much, Leslie, for capturing that. And last night on Grouse Mountain, this was taken by Jason, so spectacular. A couple of shots I did want to show, different weather picture this evening, and we are going to see it much uh, wetter as we get in towards tonight. We have seen a wave of moisture, especially across the island this afternoon. It's moving along the west end right now. We'll see it out of the airport. It's going to push its way towards the east, so the rain is going to intensify this evening. Temperatures are going to cool off. Tonight we're down to 9 degrees. The rain should ease off quite quickly for the morning hours on Sunday. That's the silver lining, but we'll still see cloud cover through the day and some drizzle. That's what I've left in the forecast towards the afternoon with temperatures up to 13, so the precipitation that we see through the day on Sunday will be very light. Drizzle for most areas and continuing in towards the evening. There's that wave of moisture. Now, as it pushes its way towards the interior, we are looking at snow. The snow level lowering between 1,000 to 1,300 metres. Rainfall amounts first across Metro Vancouver with the future cast, and this is what we're seeing. So there's that pulse of rain, heavy at times overnight. For the morning hours, it dissipates quite quickly along the south coast. We'll still see wet snow for higher elevations for the early morning hours, and that'll ease off through the day. And then it's unsettled over the next few days into early next week. We've got cloud cover and on and off showers for both Monday, Tuesday. Rainfall amounts along the south coast, 10 and potentially up to 15 millimeters. We'll see higher amounts along the North Shore mountains and similar along the western edge of the island. Now with the snow level lowering, Okanagan Connector as well as the Cokahola, a few spots, five and up to 10 centimetres, and these are amounts leading in towards tomorrow. Allison Pass, most of the Coquihalla, Kootenay Pass, a range between 4 and up to cent- 10 cent- 8 centimetres, rather. So the snow level lowering to the valley bottoms this evening, and then it'll raise to around 1,500 metres through the day tomorrow. Now, we do have a nice break along the northern half of the province. Temperatures will be up to 9 degrees. A clearing is on the way for the northeastern corners, but temperatures chilly for tomorrow. The peace just seeing highs up to minus 5. Dry with a mainly cloudy sky across the central interior. Temperatures will be at the freezing mark and much of the southern interior. So wet flurries, snowfall for higher elevations for the early morning hours. And then it'll taper off towards the day. The rain is going to ease off across the south coast. So the heaviest rain overnight and for tomorrow morning. We are going to see drizzle. It'll be a fairly gray day for tomorrow. Temperatures will be up to 13 degrees. Monday, Tuesday, both days unsettled. Hoping to see some sunshine and drier conditions midweek on Wednesday. Colleen. Okay, thanks. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Parts of California are seeing
1: more shark activity than normal, and the weather might have something to do with it. The Cal State Long Beach Shark Lab says it usually at this time of year. It's usually at this time of year when great white sharks swim south to Cal- from California to Mexico's warmer waters. But thanks to record-breaking heat, the ocean hasn't cooled, and the sharks aren't sticking around. Or they are sticking around, rather. This was the footage we wanted to show you. A fish story for a Florida man that he's gonna be telling for some time. Andre Garcia is nursing a wound with 16 stitches after a nurse shark clamps onto his foot while he was working on a dock. He was in the water when he said the shark bit down on him hard. Garcia eventually had to get out of the water with the shark still attached to his foot, then gently removed the shark with a hammer. Yeah, a 15 minute painful experience. He will likely never forget. Ow! Fifteen. Gently minutes. remove
7: anything with a hammer. I don't know.
1: <laughs> well, it's a shark. They clump on. Ow! They want to let go. Yeah. Thought it was him and not me. <laughs> Barry, what do you got coming up?
7: Uh, Well, we got some uh, tennis. It was a big day for Canadian men. There were a couple of tournaments in Europe, and three men were in the semis, so we'll tell you how they all did. And uh, we're going to go back in the time machine with our 60th anniversary, talking about the Vancouver Voodoo roller hockey team back in the 90s. we got some great uh, footage in here from some of the guys today, uh, you know, some 30 years later. It's good stuff.
1: All right. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Berk. We've heard from and seen a lot of him over the past few weeks in his role as a politician, but... Who is Andrew Wilkinson, the person? Richard Zussman takes a closer look at the leader of the B.C. Liberal Party and a man who has a lot on the line in this provincial election.
9: It's part of the B.C. Liberal leader's core message.
10: I've worked in long-term care facilities as a doctor. We hired Dr. Bonnie Henry a few years ago. And I would hope to continue working with her as a fellow physician.
9: An essential part of who Andrew Wilkinson is, his experience as a doctor.
10: There's something you learn very quickly in medical school. When you're dealing with patients, you tell them the truth. There's no faking it. There's no obfuscating. There's no working around the side of the story. You deal with the truth. You deal with it right up front. And that's hardwired for me.
9: It's been decades since he's put on the scrubs since then spending years as a lawyer, then a public servant, before eventually running to become an MLA. His family immigrated to Canada from England when he was four, growing up in Kamloops without much money.
10: One of the rules in our family was you paid your own way for everything, including university. So you had to earn your way every step of the way, and that's what I did.
9: The 63-year-old represents Vancouver Kulchena, one of the province's most affluent ridings. He has two adult daughters and an adult son, and although he references them, he prefers to keep them out of the spotlight.
10: It's a lively dinner table conversation about what's the best way forward for Canada. And it's uh, interesting that we tend not to get so much into politics as into issues.
9: The Liberal leader has struggled to shed the impression he's out of touch and wants to prove he can relate to those struggling to get by.
10: I have a family member who was supposed to have a tourism job at a wilderness lodge on the north end of Vancouver Island, her job fell apart in the early summer. She never did get the employment.
9: Wilkinson acutely aware that while others struggle with COVID-19, it's the election that could profoundly impact his own employment.
10: We're the lucky ones. We're the ones who are not dependent on federal transfers. We're the ones who think that our jobs are going to be there, although remains to be seen with my job.
9: Wilkinson has not indicated either way what will happen with his leadership if the B.C. Liberals lose the election, only saying that even though his party is still trailing in the polls, he's working every day to become the province's next premier. Richard
1: Zussman, Global News, Victoria. We'll feature Green leader Sonia Furstenow tomorrow night. Well, today is the last day to request a mail-in ballot for this month's provincial election. Elections BC recommends voters apply for the vote-by-mail package by 8 o'clock tonight. Anyone who doesn't meet the deadline will have to vote in person and will no longer be able to request a package. As of Friday, Elections BC said it had already received 717,000 vote-by-mail packages. Those packages must be received by Elections BC before. For 8 p.m. Saturday, October 24th. Uh, looking at that pro <laughs> excuse me, that promo waste reduction, I think about the COVID-15.
7: Uh yes, you're talking about the the weight gain, everyone's sitting gain. around. Yes, yeah,
1: right, waste right. reduction, I'll, get it? Yes, uh, I do
7: get it. Do sports. You're very I'll, I'll, sh- very I'll, sharp I'll go today, away. Colleen. This is a special Saturday <laughs> for you. Uh, thanks. That uh, had the possibility to be a record-setting day for Canadian men on the ATP Tour. Three of them, Felix Oje Aliassim, Milos Raonic, and Denis Shapovalov, had the chance to advance to the final of their respective tournament. In the end, only Felix will play for a title. Oje Aliassim just turned 20 uh, in August, t- taking on Spain's Roberto Bautista Agut in the semis in Cologne, Germany. Felix with the deep return, sets pressure, up the put-away at record net, record won the, the first set 6-3, dropped the second set 6-1, but then got his form back in the third. A brilliant volley at net here for Oje Aliassim, and he wins it in three sets, goes for his first-ever ATP AFC title tomorrow versus top seed run. Alex Zverev of Germany. Meanwhile in years, Russia, the St. Petersburg Open... Dennis Shapovalov taking on Russian Andrei Rublev in the semis. Shapovalov looked great in the first set. Two fantastic volleys here at net. And he won that first set 6-4. But his serve would let him down in key moments for the rest of the way. Rublev won the second set, got a break in the third, and then served it out. He's a good young player. He'll turn 23 next week. Shapo is just 21. They'll meet a lot in the future. Rublev wins this battle in three sets and advances to Sunday's final. Milos Raonic playing in the other semi today, taking on Croatia's Borna Coric, who made it to the finals of last year's St. Petersburg Open. Milos in control in the opening set, penetrating ground strokes. Easy put away. Cruz 6-1 in the opening set, but Coric turned the tables, won the second set 6-1, and in the deciding set, Milos doesn't do enough with that first volley and then misses the second one. Coric breaks... And that's trouble for Big Milos. Chorich serves out the match, forehand winner to book his ticket to the finals against Andre Rublev. So no all Canadian final in Russia. Both Rounich and Shapovalov exit in the semifinals. Game six of the NLCS, Dodgers Braves. LA needs to win to force a game seven. A great start. Bottom first, already one nothing after a Corey Seager homer. Justin Turner follows with a blast to center, just clears the wall in center. Uh, Dodgers. Put up three in the first to go up 3 nothing. Their starter, Walker Bueller, threw six shutout innings but got big help from Mookie Betts in the fifth. A leaping grab to save a run. And the Dodgers keep their 3 nothing lead intact and they would go on to win it 3-1 as they forced game seven tomorrow night. ALCS Game 7 going on right now. Astros have won three in a row versus the Rays to get to a winner-take-all tonight. Only the 0-4 Red Sox have ever won a series after trailing 3 nothing. Bottom first, Randy Arozarena takes Lance McCullers Jr. out of the yard. Two-run homer, seventh postseason home run for the Cuban rookie, most ever in Major League history. Tampa with the early 3 nothing lead in the fourth. PGA Tour is in Las Vegas at the beautiful Shadow Creek layout for the C.J. Cup. American Russell Henley long birdie attempt at the 10th. That will go down. A 5-under today has the lead at 15-under. Three shots better than four players, including Xander Schofley. Adam Hadwin, top Canadian tied 33rd at 3-under. Nick Taylor is at 1-over. English Premiership, 4-0 Everton taking on the defending champs. Liverpool tied 1-1 until Mo Salah smashes in the go-ahead goal. It's his 100th goal for Liverpool. 2-1 Reds, but Everton respond. Dominic Calvert-Lewin elevates for the header. It ends 2-2. Liverpool at a late goal called back for offside by VAR. It ends 2-2, so Everton remain in first place. While we're going back in the time machine these last few weeks as we celebrate 60 years here at Global BC, back in the mid-90s while I was shopping for my wardrobe at Randy River, a roller hockey team called the Vancouver Voodoo were a fashionable choice for sports fans. Jay Janor takes a colorful look back.
3: For a small but very distinct part of the 1990s, the Vancouver Voodoo were a thing. For those who went to a voodoo roller hockey game and those who played, summertime sporting entertainment didn't get any better than this for a variety of reasons. My comment is that that
4: I've never had so much fun playing the sport of hockey as I did playing pro roller hockey.
6: Saved by Desmo, Scoffins with the rebound scores! Jason Scoffins, and it's
2: 7-0. Voodoo.
3: Back in 1993, 19-year-old babyface Jason Scoffins was an original member of the Vancouver Voodoo. Voodoo, part of the 12-team Roller Hockey International, a summer sports league that nobody really knew what to expect.
4: It it was absolutely huge. I mean, we were pro athletes um, who only one of us was a real pro, um, being Jose Charbonneau. Everybody else was, you know, a a former junior player or, you know, this, that, and the other. None of us knew what we were doing. We were just... Kind of showed up and
3: winged it. The Voodoo winged it for four seasons. That first year, they were led by Jose Charbonneau, released by the NHL Canucks a few years earlier. Charbonneau ripped up the RHI, scoring 68 points in 14 games. For Charbonneau, it was a career resurrection that earned him another stint with the Canucks. For the Voodoo and their head coach and part owner, Tiger Williams, it was game on where they quickly became the hottest ticket in town.
9: It was uh, very high scoring, not so defensive, a um, lot of flow. It was four on four, and so you would have uh, defensemen constantly in the rush and offensive. Here's a breakaway opportunity. It's number 18, Dugass in on goal. He scores!
11: It was just so much fun. I mean, didn't have to back check quite as hard. <laughs> just a red line in and, and just... Give her, Go to the and
3: net.
4: Green couldn't pull the trigger. Now Ast. Ast <laughs> scores!
3: Doug Ast was another BC boy making voodoo memories. Ast played three seasons of roller hockey, two in Vancouver, where Tiger Williams nicknamed him the paper boy. And yes, he delivered big time. 116 goals, 211 points in just 72 games.
11: puck was so light, and you could really get it up in a hurry. And... I, I, kinda, I had my spot. I like to go kind of top shelf.
3: For a team that was only around four seasons, the Voodoo left a lasting impression. The mascot, logo, jerseys, game experience, the Voodoo truly had it all.
9: It was really fun to be part of that and, and being being from this city. And I think they hit a home run with the jersey and the logo and the colors
11: and and uh, the, the catchy name of the Vancouver Voodoo for sure. You know, it's definitely my favorite logo of all the teams i played on for sure. I mean, it was just... It was awesome, you know, just the the, the, the face of the voodoo guy and the, and the V for Vancouver and all the colors. I think it's one of the greatest locals out there.
4: I don't think it's something you'll ever see again, you know, something that came that, I mean, obviously it came quick and went quick, um, but due to time of year, you know, being kind of the June, July type thing, we were the only ticket in town and we were the toast of the town as far as that went at that time.
6: scores, oh my, what a beauty.
7: I think roller hockey would work again today. I don't know. Maybe people watching that want to start up another team because it was fun. Lots of goals. It was exciting to see. And I love the name and love the
1: jerseys, too. Could happen. Mm -hmm. Could happen. Thanks, Barry. Um, Okay, from that nostalgia to another and the end of an era. That's next. Nostalgia. Coca-Cola's original diet soda. If you're old enough to remember, you'll remember when that very novel product was a very novel idea. But after nearly 60 years, Tab is disappearing from stores.
2: All the effervescence of an era in a can. Tab was young, hip, and fashionable. The swinging 60s without the calories. And Coke's first foray into diet cola.
0: If you
7: were a tab drinker, you were probably female. You were probably uh, young and saw yourself as vibrant and upwardly mobile.
2: Today, those soda pop times they are a changing And after more than a half century, tab is getting canned. Coke is focusing on its big sellers, sweetened with saccharin. For many, let's say it was an acquired taste. So
5: let's taste new tab. Like
2: a but those who liked it Charles loved it. Tabaholics from the 60s and 70s are the reason Coke kept it hanging around so long. Once people acquired the taste, they seemed to be rabid about it. But alas, the 60s are gone. And now, so is the fizz out of Tab. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Chicago.
1: I love those old commercials. That is the news hour for tonight. Jordan is here at 11. Thanks for watching. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow night.